Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the two announcements that were made from Gabriel the angel, an announcement that was made to the priest Zechariah concerning the upcoming birth of John the Baptist, and then the announcement that was made to Mary about her upcoming birth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then last week we talked about the conversation that took place between Elizabeth and Mary, and we focused especially on the song of Mary, the praise that Mary gave. It, it's known as the Magnificat. Sometimes even in your Bibles the, it, where the paragraph summary, it might even say the uh, Mary's Magnificat. Well, today we're going to look at the birth of John the Baptist in uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 57 beginning. But before we get there, I want us just to review what happened to Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest, and while he was in the temple carrying out his priestly duties, the angel Gabriel came and announced to him that he and his wife we're going to have a child. And this would not have been out of the ordinary except for the fact that it was an angel that announced it that came to him in the temple, but also the fact that Elizabeth and Zechariah were well past the childbearing years. It would be very similar to if I were studying in the uh, my study over here and Gabriel showed up and said, oh, by the way, uh, Andrew, you and Marie are going to have a baby. Uh, we are past childbearing years, but God can do what God wants to do, and it would be a very unusual thing. And Zechariah, in all honesty, he, uh, he says in Luke chapter 1, if you look down at verse 18, Zechariah says, well, how can I know this? Uh, for I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And Gabriel basically says, here's your sign. Uh, for the next nine months, you're not going to be able to speak. <clears throat> Could you imagine going nine months without being able to speak? I have a hard time imagining me going nine days or nine hours, <clears throat> nine minutes, or maybe even nine seconds without being able to talk. And we look at this and we say, how cruel. But can I flip that this morning and make us think about the fact that in many, many ways, Zachariah not being able to talk may well have been a blessing. Once you get past the shock of it, uh, Zachariah has nine months to think about what's really important to say. He has nine months to think about his priorities. A while back this fall, Marie was gone and I was home and it was one of those days I wasn't feeling real well and Miss Cozy was asleep and, and I went down to our pond and sat down there on the dock and just listened uh, in the silence and it was pretty interesting. Uh, other than occasionally a truck coming up Anderson Road or Elrod, it's surprising how the noise can carry in the valley and in the hollows of those woods, but uh, it was just, I didn't hear anything. And then all of a sudden, I started hearing birds sing. And I heard a kerplop and looked around and saw the waves in the pond where a frog had uh, jumped into the pond. 
And I just got to wondering, how much better off would we be if we all took the time to get away from everything and just sat in silence for a while and not talk? When I go to work, I usually either listen to sports talk or I listen to sermons, one of the two. And uh, if I'm listening to sports talk, they about every 10 minutes they have uh, commercials. And it never fails on sports talk shows. The first commercial will be about sports gambling, telling you to make a bet on FanDuel or, or one of the different sports books that we have now because sports betting is legal in, in Tennessee now. And the second commercial will be talking about how men can solve their health problems with a pill. And, and it's not just those commercials. When we watch television, have you noticed how many commercials are about things that make us look more handsome or more beautiful or younger or stronger? And when those commercials come on the radio, I turn them off. And it's amazing how silent the car is when the noise isn't coming in. And I just wonder how much better off we would be if we would take the time to shut out the noise and just spend time between us and God. I've started doing that more on my rides to work and back, and it's been very productive, just me and the Lord talking, and uh, it, it's, very, uh, it's a very good time for me. And the Lord kind of laid on my heart, and I isn't this much better than listening to about sports gambling and, and other things, and, and you know, he, he's right. But Zechariah had nine months to sit in silence, and we pick up our text today in Luke chapter 1, verse 57, and we're going to read through verse 8. Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zechariah. His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. But they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who was called by this name. So they made signs to the father what he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying, His name is John. So they all marveled. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, praising God. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them. And all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Now his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, and he, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, 
to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him in all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. So as we look at verse 57, it's time for her baby to be born. Her friends come and celebrate with her. Her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her. They rejoiced with her. If I were to tell you this morning that Marie and I were going to have a child, after you got over the shock, you'd be happy for us, wouldn't you? And, and you'd rejoice with us. And when we had the child, you'd celebrate with us. And, and that's what happens here. And when the baby was eight days old, as was their custom, they came to circumcise the child. Remember in the old covenant, male children had to be circumcised on the eighth day. And apparently it was also their custom when they circumcised the male children on the eighth day, they would name them on the eighth day. And so the people were going to name John after his father, Zachariah. You know, that makes sense. Uh, we often name people after relatives. I am named after my mother's father, my grandfather on my mother's side, Andrew Clayton. His name was Theodore Clayton. And uh, my brother, my younger brother, is named John Mark. He's named after my father's father. So he's named after his grandfather on our father's side. His name was John. His name was John Williams. So I was named after my father, grandfather's middle name. My brother's named after my grandfather's first name. But we were both named after our grandfather. And, and it's an honor to be able to have their name. And, and they both said it was an honor to have children named after them. So they were following custom here in Elizabeth and Zachariah's day by saying, we're going to name this child Zachariah. And uh, Elizabeth says, no, you're not. His name shall be called John. And notice uh, Elizabeth speaks in future tense here. His name will be called John or shall be called John. That's future tense. Now, there was nobody in their family named John. So that would be kind of like when you ask Marie and I, we have a son, what's your son's name going to be? And we say, we're going to name him Bartholomew. Well, why in the world would you name your child Bartholomew? Nobody names their child Bartholomew. Is there anybody in your family named Bartholomew? Well, no. That, what, why would you want to name him Bartholomew? Well, number one, nobody else has that name. And number two, we're going to do him a favor when he's in first grade and has to learn how to spell Bartholomew. It's going to take a minute, but we'll just call him Bart. Well, that's the kind of the way the people reacted with Elizabeth. John, 
Why in the world would you name him John? So they said, well, here's what we're, we're going to get with, with Zechariah. We're going to, the dad will settle all this. He'll, he'll stop this little insignificant rebellion. He'll get it all straight. So they say, Zechariah, what's his name going to be? And Zechariah, of course, he can't speak. He writes on the pad, probably a slate with some chalk. He says, his name is, present tense, John. And when Zechariah wrote that, notice there in verse uh, 63, or 64 rather, immediately Zechariah's mouth is opened. He starts speaking. His tongue was loosed. And notice the first thing he said. It says that he spoke doing what? Praising God. Now I've got a question for you. If you had been silent for nine months, what's the first thing you'd say when you got ready to speak? Would you praise God or be angry at God for making you not be able to talk for nine months? God, what you what do you mean? I'm a priest. I can say, Lord, I'm a preacher. Are you gonna keep me quiet for nine months? And he'd love to speak back and say, Yes, your congregation loved it. <laughs> but he praises God. He shouts to the Lord, this tells me the nine months that Zachariah spent in solitude helped him get his priorities in order. So the first thing he does when he speaks is to praise God. Last week, and I wasn't able to participate in it because I was recovering from uh, the heart cath that I had on Thursday, but at the prison, our volunteers, we had a Christmas carnival for the inmates. And we had 14 different churches. Our church, by the way, was one of them that made donations and participated. What we gave uh, here at this church, we gave every uh, prisoner, every uh, offender, a track, Paths to Peace with God, How to Get Saved. And we gave them all a bookmark that has the Roman road to salvation uh, on that. But they were given candy, they were given socks, gloves, uh, hygiene products, things that we take for granted. Uh, and you'd be surprised how many inmates have came to me this week. Just a couple of them were crying even, that people took the time to stop and think about them uh, when, when they, were, they were praising God. Uh, what, what do we praise God over? Uh, do we realize how much we've been blessed? Those inmates that they're, they're locked away from society, to almost to a person, they told me that one of the biggest lessons they learned while they've been incarcerated was they don't need nearly as much as they thought they needed to be happy. And, you know, that, that's true. Because everything they've got has got to be right there in a six-by-six six area. I've got so many clothes, we can't keep them in our closets. That's almost embarrassing. My mother, and I've shared this with you before, she, the house, she still lives in the house she grew up in, and growing up was her, her sister, and my grandmother and my grandfather. They all lived there, and they had plenty of room for all their stuff. My mom says, now I live here by myself, and I don't have room for all my stuff. And that, that's where we are. But what, what do we praise God about? Here's Zechariah has been silent for nine months. And you think he'd be angry with God. He praises God. 
He praises the Lord, says, what a wonderful Lord it is. Then it says, fear came upon all who dwelt around them, and all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. You know, I imagine so. Imagine if you came to visit Marie and I when Bartholomew was born. And I've been silent for nine months. And while you were there, all of a sudden I start praising the Lord and talking. Would you talk about it? Let me tell you what we saw. Now they didn't have Facebook and all that, so they had to spread it by mouth. But if we had to do it, it'd be all over Anderson Road and El Rock. By the time we got to church on Sunday, it'd be all over this end of Fairview. Well, that's what was happening there in verse 66. All of those who heard them kept them in their heart, these things that happened, and they said, what kind of child will this be? This child, John, he's going to be special. This child, John, he's going to be different. And That's where they were. Verse 67. Now his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Ghost and he prophesied. Just like Mary's prophecy, Mary's song is called the Magnificat. Zechariah's prophecy is also a song and it's called the Benedictus. And it's a very, very well-known song as well. Uh, in high religions, what I mean high relig religions like Catholicism, Orthodox, those, uh, their Latin songs actually taken from this prophecy and Mary's prophecy. Mary's is the Magnificat. This is the Benedictus. But the Benedictus teaches us several things. And as we look into Zachariah's Christmas carol, and Marie, you've got a job to do. Uh, as we were singing our Christmas carols this week or uh, today, I got to thinking about the theology that's in those Christmas carols. There's a lot of terrific uh, theology in our Christmas carols. So I'm thinking next year, if I remember, that's still 365 uh, days away almost, 51 weeks away from now, I may do a, a series of sermons on Christmas, the Christmas carols of Christmas and, and look at the theology of Christmas because it's rich. But Zachariah's Christmas carol teaches us five things. And it tells us five things about Christ's visit to man. First of all, Zechariah tells us that Christ's coming provides salvation. Christ's coming provides salvation. Zechariah describes God's saving purpose in four ways. First of all, God's coming provides redemption. Look at verse 68. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. The word redeemed, redemption, means to buy back. If uh, someone is kidnapped, we pay them a ransom or a redemption, and that's the price that it calls to buy them back. When I was growing up, my grandfather collected stamps, top value stamps and green stamps. And whatever stamps he needed, that's the store he'd go to. Uh, if he needed top value stamps, he'd go to the store that gave out top value stamps. And uh, when he'd get a full book, he would take it to the redemption center. Some of y'all are old enough to remember these stamps in redemption centers. And you'd get all kind of stuff there from 
uh, axes, the lawnmowers, the, every, they had all different kind of things that called, he would, Paul said, it's time to go redeem the stamps. And so Jesus came to redeem mankind. What he did, he understood, God understood, that mankind was in the clutches of sin. We were ensnared, we were enslaved by Satan, and Jesus Christ came to buy us back. Jesus Christ came to redeem us. We used to sing a terrific song, and I don't think it's in our songbook now, and it's a shame, but it's called Redeemed How I Love to Proclaim It. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy, a child and forever I am. Jesus Christ came to redeem us. So with His birth and with His visitation to us, Jesus Christ visited us. John 1 verse 14 said the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. Now when we visit, we generally go for a while, we come back. Jesus Christ visited to stay. God came down to earth, the tabernacle. When it says there in John 1 14 that he dwelt among us, that's the word tabernacle. He, he lived with us. He tabernacled with us. He made himself one of us. He became human, and he redeemed us. So Christ's coming provides redemption. Christ's coming also provides salvation. Verse 69. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. This idea of a horn is not an instrument. It's not even a specifically an animal horn. But it is a weapon used against an enemy. Jesus Christ came to save us from our enemy. What's our enemy? Our enemy is sin. Our enemy is Satan. Our enemy is death. And Jesus Christ came to save us from those things. And Zechariah sings all about it. He says this Messiah that's coming, he's, he's been prophesied and he's coming and he's going to redeem us. He's going to save us. And Christ's coming also provides rescue. Verses 71 and 74. Verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Verse 74, to grant us that we being delivered from the hands of my enemies. He came to rescue us. Y'all, we need help. Without Jesus Christ, we were helpless. We were hopeless. And Jesus Christ came to the rescue. Uh, could you imagine being on a trip and your car breaks down? And luckily today we have cell phones. Those of us who are old enough to remember before cell phones, if you got stuck somewhere and you were out in the middle of wherever, you just out of luck. If you weren't where there was a payphone, or if you happened to be close to a payphone, if you're like me, when I'd get to the payphone, somebody would have tore it up. Because that's kind of the way, that's why they got rid of most of the payphones. People would either beat them up and take all the money or they cut the cord and so you'd have just that receiver there and so you could, but you, we needed rescuing. 
But we needed rescuing from something way bigger than a broke down car. We needed rescuing from the clutches of Satan. And God came, Jesus Christ came to rescue me. And he came to rescue you. And that's the blessing of Christmas. That's the joy of Christmas. Christ coming provides redemption. It provides salvation. It provides rescue. It also provides forgiveness. Look at verse 77. To give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission or forgiveness of their sins. You see, every one of us sinned against the Holy God. We stayed separated from God. We, we couldn't get back to God. There was a great canyon between us and God. It's like the Grand Canyon. We're on this side. God's on the other side and we can't get to him. We can't get there ourselves because we can't fly. We can't be good enough. We can't be smart enough. We can't be wise enough. We need help. We need forgiveness. So God came to redeem us. God came to save us. God came to rescue us. He also came to forgive us. And he did that by dying on a cross. Can I tell you something that's very, very important? As much as we celebrate the nativity and the Christmas scene, and it's a terrific thing to celebrate, you can't celebrate the cradle from the cross because they go together. <coughs> Just like at Easter time, you can't celebrate the cross from the cradle. All of them go together. Uh, the, the old Baptist hymnal, it's not in this one. It used to have a song that we sang called Christmas Has Its Cradle. Easter has its cross, but it does an excellent job talking about the relationship between the cross and the cradle. If Jesus hadn't came to be born as a human, to die as a sinless human, we talked about this last week, but we'll talk about it even more when we get back to 1 Peter. That's our first sermon back into 1 Peter, how does Christ save us? But he saved us because he had to be a sinless human. And he died a sinless human to pay the price for my sin. He took my sin. He took your sin on the cross. I call it the great exchange. We exchange our sin for Christ's righteousness. That doesn't seem like much of a deal for God, does it? Jesus Christ came and he lived a sinless life. And the reward he got for that was death on a cross. And he got my sins. And he got your sins. And you and I get forgiveness. God looks at us and says, you're forgiven. Your sins have been remitted. Your bill's been paid. What a Christmas gift. So Jesus Christ's coming, Zechariah sings about it, it provides salvation. He provides us redemption, salvation, rescue, forgiveness. Jesus Christ's visit was not just to hang out, amen? Now we went yesterday, Marie and I did, we drove all over the countryside uh, for a couple of errands we needed to run, but 
We ended up going to Shady Grove and down to Columbia, and we ate at Long John Silver's. Then we came back through, and we went over to Franklin and went to the mall, and we walked through the mall. We just visited to hang out. Jesus Christ didn't just visit us to hang out and see how we're doing. You know, I call my mom, why are you calling? Well, I just want to see how you're doing. Jesus Christ didn't visit to see how we were doing. He knew how we were doing. Amen? We were a mess. Jesus Christ visited to fix us and to save us from ourselves. But Jesus Christ's coming also, not only does it provide salvation, it fulfills prophecy. Zechariah can't get over the fact that God is ready to keep his promises and he sings three stanzas to declare that fact. First of all, he says, This is the one that is promised by the prophets. Verse 70. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began. These prophets, all the way back going to Moses and Isaiah and Micah and uh, Ezekiel and Daniel and all these prophets, they said Messiah's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Now, it's been 400 years since Messiah, since Malachi wrote Malachi. But there are still people waiting for Messiah to come because the prophets prophesied. And Zechariah is saying, he's here. The wait's almost over. It's almost time. But not only was it promised by the prophets, Jesus Christ was cherished by the fathers. Verse 72. Jesus is coming to perform the mercy promised to our fathers. The fathers of the Old Testament, the patriarchs, Adam and Jacob and Isaiah, I mean and Isaac and all of the patriarchs, Noah, they all talked about mercy, God being merciful. Well, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that mercy, and it's almost time for the fulfillment. Now, we talked last week about the fact there's partial fulfillment in the Old Testament. There, the Old Testament's full of God being merciful to the Israelites. But God's full mercy is not going to be seen until Jesus comes. That mercy was promised to the prophets. It was cherished by the fathers. And it was covenanted by an oath with Abraham. That's verse 72 and 3. To perform the mercies promised to our fathers and remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. Back in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, God made some promises to Abraham and the last of those promises was the fact that through Abraham's seed, all the nations of the earth were going to be blessed. And God renews that covenant all through the Old Testament. And now that time is here. God is now doing what he said he promised to do. Zechariah is saying that just as the old guys promised, <coughs> Messiah is coming. And the world's never going to be the same. I tell you what, Christ's coming also gives us a purpose. Verses 74 and 75. To grant that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, 
might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Zechariah tells of a total transformation that's going to happen to people when Jesus Christ gets a hold of them. You remember in the New Testament when people looked at Jesus' apostles and they said they could tell that they had been with Jesus? When Jesus Christ gets a hold of us, y'all, he changes us. If we remain unchanged after Jesus gets a hold of us, can I tell you something? Jesus hadn't got a hold of us. Amen? We're, we're going to change. We're going to be different. Now, we change to different degrees and at different speeds depending upon how much, how quickly we empty ourselves so the Holy Spirit can fill us. But if we've been touched by Jesus, when we sing that song, He Touched Me, we've been changed. Now, it may be something as simple as what the blind, blind guy said. They asked him, how was it that Jesus made you see? He said, I don't know that. You'll have to ask him. He just says, I know I was blind, but now I see. I know I was lost, but now I'm saved. God's, Jesus' coming gives us a purpose. Salvation leads to sanctification, which leads to service. And what do I mean by that? Salvation leads to sanctification. Being saved from our sins, being born again, having the Holy Spirit living in us, leads to sanctification. That means being set apart being made holy, being made more like Jesus. And we do that through service. That's verse 75. Holiness and righteousness. And look what he says all of our days. As a Christian, you don't have to wonder what your purpose is. Your purpose is to be more like Jesus and to serve him every day of your life through the rest of your days. You know, those of us that have spent a time caregiving, when something happens to the one that we're caring for, for a while we lose our purpose. We wonder, now what am I supposed to do? Uh, my, my purpose is gone. Can I tell you, with Jesus, you'll never lose your purpose. You'll serve, and we are to serve Jesus all the days of our life. There is no higher calling. And a lot of us have been called to a lot of things. But there is no higher calling and no greater joy than to serve Jesus Christ all of our days. And Zechariah sings about this here. Zechariah also tells us that Christ's coming will be prepared by John. This whole song that he gives, and they're at the circumcision of John, remember, so don't forget the circumstances surrounding Zechariah's song. Zechariah sings this song. There's only two verses about his son. The rest of it's about Jesus. But the two verses about his son are verses 76 and 77. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of God. Zechariah says John's going to do three things. First of all, he's going to be a prophet. He's going to be both a foreteller and a foreteller. Usually when we think of prophet, we think of a fortune teller. But a prophet not only told forth the future, he also 
was a preacher. And he would preach the message. And that's what John did. John was a prophet. John was also going to prepare the way. He was going to get the, he was going to clear out the clutter. He was going to make a way so that Jesus could come into the world. He was going to announce Jesus' coming. If you decided you want to build a house in the woods, first thing you'd have to do is cut a driveway so you could get to it. And then you'd have to bring a bulldozer in and prepare the property. And that's what John did. John prepared the way for Jesus. And then he was also going to preach salvation and forgiveness. That was John's job. As we said, John only spends two verses on his son, the rest of it's on Jesus. Even Zechariah understood that John was going to serve a subordinate role to Jesus. Now, the people were wondering what kind of child John was going to be. We sing the Christmas carol, what child is this? And it talks about Jesus. But the question is actually asked about John. But the fact of it is, even John himself said, Jesus must increase, and I must decrease. John had a purpose, to be a prophet, to prepare the way, and to preach salvation and forgiveness. But he was subordinate to Jesus Christ. Finally, Christ's coming brings blessings. Verses 78 and 79. Through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us. The day spring from on high is Jesus. And once again, he's visiting. That word visit is used twice in this particular psalm. Verse 78 and also verse 68. He's, he's visited us. He's come to give us blessings. First of all, he's come to give light in darkness. Have you ever been in total darkness and you can't see and you're having to kind of try to feel your way around uh, and, and walk in the darkness and you stump your toe on something and that's the way it is. You need help, right? You need light. Well, Jesus Christ came to a light for those that are groping in darkness. Y'all, that's us before we knew Jesus and that's the world that's out there today. They may sing Christmas carols Joy to the world. Can I tell you they have no clue what they're singing about? Because they don't have joy. They're walking in darkness and they don't know it. They're stumbling trying to find the light. Jesus Christ is the light. Jesus Christ came to be that light in darkness. He came to give hope to the hurting. He came to those that are in darkness to announce that morning's coming. It's not always going to be dark. There's a way to get to the light. He also came, Jesus did, to bring us the blessing of pardon. He's going to give pardon to condemned hearts. To those that are condemned to death. And y'all, that's all of us. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Before we knew Jesus, we were spiritually dead. We were dead men and dead women walking. Jesus Christ came to give us a pardon. Not parole. We still don't have we don't have to visit the parole officer because y'all we've been pardoned. Our sins aren't counted against us anymore. They've been erased. And those that are out in the world now, 
They may be singing Silent Night, but they're still on death row. Jesus Christ came for them as well to be their light, to be their pardon. Jesus Christ also came to give guidance to those who have lost their way. Jesus Christ is the greatest GPS service ever known. Jesus Christ to get us home because he knows how to get back there. He came to heaven. He came from heaven, rather, to earth. He died. He's going back to heaven. But one day, he's coming back. And he's going to take us home. And you know what? I'm going to hold his hand because he knows the way home. Amen? Amen? He knows how to guide us there. God has visited his people and nothing has ever and nothing ever will be the same. Three words summarize Zachariah's Christmas carol. Sin, that's us. Savior, that's God. And salvation, that's what God does. For us, and it's what God brings us. Notice that Zechariah was unable to speak until he acted in faith. Can I remind all of us this morning that God's Christmas blessings and that Christ's Christmas blessings can't be given to us until we do the same thing? We talked in our Sunday school class this morning about faith, and it's one thing to say that we have a strong faith. The way you show you have a strong faith is not saying it's by action. It's having faith. It's being obedient to whatever it is God's calling you to do and, and to be. 